Okay, hey everyone, welcome back to Quality Matters. I'm your hostess, Darcy Chambers. I'm here I'm with co- my co-host. <laughs> Jumped in a little soon there. Go ahead. I'm Kyle. <laughs> we uh, we always have an awkward moment introducing ourselves. We need to work on that. Um, we have a special guest here with us today, Matt Sands, and he is the host of the Mineral Rights Podcast. You want to tell us a little more about yourself? Hi, yeah. Thank you, uh, Darcy and Kyle, for having me on. I, I appreciate it. I'm, I've been looking forward to this conversation. Uh, like I mentioned in our emails, I'm a bit of a quality geek. Um, <laughs> little known uh, fact about me and, and my uh, work history, but that's a, a lot of what I did, at least in the last five years that I was working in the, in the corporate world. So, In today's global economy, quality matters. Benjamin Franklin once quipped, the bitterness of poor quality remains long after the sweetness of low price is forgotten. Quality Matters is here to talk about all things quality. So whether you're looking to improve your business, getting ready for an audit, or dealing with failed inspections, tune in, check us out, then get back to doing work that matters. So yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. Um, I've got about 20 years experience um, across all areas of oil and gas industry from upstream to downstream. And uh, and my focus over the last five years has actually been on investing and consulting in the minerals and royalty space and started the podcast uh, about two years ago, just because I saw there really was a lack of credible information out there to help mineral owners manage their their assets. And so just wanted to provide a source of quality information. Uh, so that's the theme of this, of the show, um, <laughs> for those folks. And, uh, fortunate enough that I had, a, one of my listeners, uh, Justin Williams, who's an individual mineral owner, his family has, uh, minerals in West Texas. And he reached out and, um, I was kind of sporadically re- releasing episodes at the time and was just kind of had other work. And so it was, you know, a lot of, a lot of stuff goes into producing a, a podcast, as you guys know. Yep. yep. And, and so uh, he came out and said, Hey, I'd love to help. I, you know, all I'm asking for is just to learn because I want to learn more about this, um, these minerals that we inherited. So I said, I'd love to help. Let, come on the show. Let's, let's work together. So he provides the, the what I call the individual mineral owner perspective. I kind of have the industry and investor yeah, point of view. So yeah, together we, we've been making the podcast for the last couple of years and uh, it seems to be going well. No, that's cool. Now, I'll tell you, this was something that surprised me here a few years ago when I first learned it. You talk about mineral rights. If you own the property, you don't necessarily own much of what's beneath it. Can you give like a, a quick explanation for folks that may not be <laughs> familiar with this? Yes. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point because... Uh, what you're referring to is what we call, um, when, when the minerals have been severed from the surface. And so, you know, if you buy a house today, uh, certainly in like an urban environment, you're, you know, more than likely not going to get the mineral rights below your, your house. And so that's been severed at some point in the past and someone else owns that and you own the surface rights and the, you know, pertinences and all the stuff above ground, you know, the garage, the house, the shed and, and whatever. But, um, so yeah, that's, it's a common occurrence where, uh, people will own the actual surface, you know, whether it's a, you know, an actual lot in a, in a city 
or even in a rural environment. And sometimes they may not own the minerals below the land if it's been severed. Because what can happen is when you sell the property, you can retain the minerals. So mm-hmm. if you, um, this is a, a probably a tip that I'll throw out there for <laughs> folks that if you do find that you own the minerals below your property and you, and you, you know, bought the house and you find out later that it came with minerals, you know, just keep those, you know, even if you sell the house, when you, um, you know, do everything in the real estate filings, disclose that you're going to keep the, the minerals and all that, but then mm-hmm. you can in the, uh, in the actual deed reserve the minerals, um, to yourself and then, and then just pass on the surface. And so that you have the ability to enjoy that in perpetuity. So it's a, it's a type of real property, um, just like owning a house. Uh, so that, that is a cool thing about mineral rights. It's uh, in perpetuity. So if you pass it down to an heir, um, you know, they, they could have it forever and they could pass it on to their heirs and so forth. So, no, That's good information. Yeah. Again, that was something that confused the method out of me a few years ago because it just seems logical if you own the property, you got everything as far down as you want to go. Yeah, you'd think, you know, that, that's what you would hope, you know, but, but when, uh, when somebody comes on, on, on your land and actually the interesting thing about minerals is that it's the dominant estate. So, uh, another little known fact is that actually if somebody leases the, the minerals below your house, um, you know, they have the right to, you know, the, the oil company that leased that, that property has the right to come in and drill a well under your property and doesn't need to get your permission and that's assuming, you know, obviously, you're not, they're not going to put a, a well pad on your, uh, in your backyard or on your, right. on your land. But if they're, you know, now with directional drilling, horizontal drilling, yep. it could be a mile or two away drilling the well. And, and that well bore could go right under your property. And, um, you know, that you don't need to be notified of that. And that's another reason to have mm-hmm. the mineral rights so that you can access the, the royalties from any oil and gas production under your property. So. So I find this all very fascinating. However, I think we have a different topic for today's episode. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe at another time we can have that discussion. So I think we were going to talk about the importance of quality and continuous improvement considering the prices right now. Yes. Yeah, no, that um, is a huge deal. You know, if you think back to where we've, uh, gone in the, uh, industry over the past few years, you know, but back in the, you know, 10 years ago, we were in a period where we hit, you know, hundred dollars plus, um, per barrel for oil. And what that enabled, um, companies to do is become kind of, uh, you know, fat and happy. They didn't have to become <laughs> super efficient. You know, they could just, there was waste in the system. Didn't yeah. matter because they were making money hand over fist because the price of oil was so high. Well, you fast forward to around 2015, the most recent downturn, you know, besides the one we're going through right now, and we saw the need that really to uh, streamline things and to become more efficient and effective in the way we ran the business, just because. You had to do that in a lower commodity price environment. Otherwise, you weren't making money. You were going to go out of business. So I, I think it's a real hot topic uh, right now with the price of oil, uh, you know, in the $30 range. And so so it is an important thing, I think, that the industry needs to be thinking about, you know, because this these lower prices could be here for a while, if not for mm-hmm. for the duration. So, so 
Let me ask this question. The price of oil, everybody likes to throw that around. For those that don't know, what's a good price of oil? What's a bad price of oil? And where are we sitting right now? Yeah, it, it depends on who you ask. I've read, I read an article <laughs> yesterday, and uh, the article referred to a Deloitte study that said that uh, 35%, I believe, was the number of either 30 or 35% of oil and gas companies right now are, uh, are insolvent at $35 a barrel of oil. So it certainly isn't $35 a barrel where, where it needs to be for these companies to make money at least with the current way of, of working. Um, it's possible that some of those companies could be profitable at $35 a barrel. You know, again, if they got that efficiency and effectiveness down and, and really, um, you know, running on all, all cylinders. So, so yeah, I think it depends on who you ask. I think a lot of the break-even prices that if you look at investor presentations for publicly traded oil and gas companies, we're, we're talking in most of the shale basins in the $45, $50 a barrel uh, range in order for them to, to break even. So you talk about these efficiencies. What what are some of the key ways that you're seeing? When you talk about they can make it more efficient, they're waste of money here and there. Mm-hmm. What are some key things? And is this occurring at the level of the super majors? Are we talking about the uh, the supply chain, the, the field crews? What are we talking about? Well, you know, I think it it is all across the board. I don't think it's just something where you see these sort of wastes at the big super majors where they've got, you know, massive uh, overhead, so to speak, you know, lots of staff and, and employees. And, you know, it could, could be within a smaller independent. I know a few specific examples um, here in Colorado from talking to, to friends and, and family, you know, hearing the ways that they're working. And, I, and I've... Can, can hear some of the waste that's in the system. And it, and it kind of boils down to, I think, um, working on the, the wrong things. So um, I listened to you guys' last episode or one of the last episodes that was really good um, about the Toyota production system and Deming and how he kind of helped get that started. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I saw a link that another um, kind of got down the rabbit hole of the Deming Institute website and was reading some articles. <laughs> and there's a a really good blog post that I came across um, preparing for this just to, to refresh my memory on some of the, the, mm-hmm. the terms. But um, the blog post was titled to avoid doing the wrong things, writer. I like and, it. Uh, I, I got to so, check that out. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to write that one down. That's awesome. Yeah, and it, was just, it, was, I think it was actually just published this week, but um, it was, and, and the reason I'm, I want to key in on that is because my experience is oil and gas companies get really caught up in, you know, like later, latest trends. So you hear like data warehouse and big mm-hmm. data analytics and, oh yeah, we need to go do that. And so the, they think, okay, well, we just need to automate our processes yeah. and pull that into a data warehouse and then we'll, we'll be golden and we don't really <laughs> change, you know, anything else. And so that's kind of the real s- sexy thing going on in the, in the industry right now. See, I find and, that hilarious because- I'm a computer geek and we, we develop software. We do all of that. But just yesterday in a training, uh, I was talking, talking to someone and they're like, well, when do we make this digital? And you know, when is a paper copy fine? And I, I was telling her, I was like, look, you can try to digitize all of those paper documents, get electronically entered. But if you spend 50 hours developing that system and then it takes people 30 minutes longer to enter that data and you never 
access this stuff maybe like once a year in an audit my gosh just keep the paper file keep a good working system and roll on with it but people go to these big elaborate systems and they just waste money yep oh it's so true and you know you can, you, you got to ask yourself the question first is do i even need to write this down is this pay, piece of paper that i'm going to digitize why are we um putting this down on paper, is it something that we really need to do? Is it a value added activity or is it just the way that we've been doing things and it's just sort of crept into the system, you know? And so, you know, and, that, and that's the thing with the, the mindset as well. You know, I'm, you know, I, I know how to do my job, you know, I've done this for 20 years or, I've you never know, heard and, that. and yeah, <laughs> I don't need to, to <laughs> write it down or I don't need to, to look at, you know, documenting the process and, you know, it's just the way we've done it. And, and that's the, you know, the, the, I think the the opportunity that we have in the oil and gas industry is to make sure you're doing things, um, the, the right things, the right way. And so that article that I mentioned, it talks about doing things right versus doing the right thing. Yeah. And, and the reason that this is so important is because most of the time in a process, you know, whether when there's, if it's wasteful, if it hasn't been optimized, is you're looking at most of the time spent in that process is made of non-value added time. So that could be waiting on information or waiting on data, mm-hmm. um, you know, waiting on a part, whatever mm-hmm. it is. It's, you know, that's, you, you look at the time that it took to do that process. A lot of it's non-value added time. And so really what you need to focus on is, is, the effectiveness of that product uh, of that process instead of just the efficiency, you know? And so, you know, you think about what if that wrong thing that you're trying to optimize that piece of paper that you mentioned that I'm, that I, that we referred to you just a second ago, you're trying to optimize how you enter that into the system and, you know, how you, you know, automate that you can, what if you could just eliminate that from the process entirely, you could potentially save, an order of magnitude in time and expense by mm-hmm. eliminating all those unnecessary steps versus automating that wrong step and making it more efficient. So I, I couldn't agree more. So to I, me, I think that's a big opportunity. I ask people a lot of times, just a simple blank question. It's fun sometimes to do it. You just ask them why nothing else. Just stare at them when they mm-hmm. say that they're trying to improve this or they're, they're, they're working on that, or they have this step here. You just say why and stare at them blankly till they get really uncomfortable. And then really ask them, why is this important? Why, why do you, and I, yeah, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. And I, I can see just countless examples from folks we've worked with before where, yeah, they spend just enormous amounts of time and they might have a slick system, but it's, it's not, it doesn't add a value that it took to develop it. Exactly. Yeah. So like what you're talking about, the five whys and getting to the root cause and really mm-hmm. understanding why are you doing that thing? And is it is it something we need to do? And okay, if it is, that's, that's good. Then we know that. And then how do we make it better? And, um, and so, yeah, I think that's the, you know, the, the big thing. And then, you know, the interesting bit around, you know, the next steps, like you, you, you identify what you're doing. It's like, you know, we got to measure it. And so to me, that's the, the thing that we are, really good as engineers and geoscientists in the oil and gas industry. It's a very technical industry. And, you know, we're really focused on like a lot of the technical details mm-hmm. around drilling wells and building big projects and facilities and, and, you know, analyzing seismic data and all of the, 
cool um, <laughs> technology that goes into that. But then when you think about it, you know, we, if we were to step back, we have the skills and the toolbox already in the industry through the scientific method. And when we talk about like quality and the way we do stuff and process improvement and stuff like that, it really just boils down to the scientific method and, and getting real, um, you know, scientific and analytical about how we document processes. How do we measure them? Mm-hmm. How do we know if they're working? How do we improve and, and that kind of thing? So, yeah. Well, it made me cringe a little early on when you said, you know, everybody was making money hand over fist and there's no reason to evaluate the processes. And, you know, it just makes me think about an individual that maybe works in a seasonal business. Just because you're making all this money in the summer, if you're an AC repair guy, you don't spend it all. You tuck some away for the winter when you're not making any money. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's it just makes me cringe because they have an opportunity or had an opportunity to do the right things. Yeah, I think that's a great analogy, Darcy. I think that's like, you know, where we're at today. You know, we're we're in the winter you know, the AC guy ain't working. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and this is something we, we should have seen coming, I think, and especially in 2015, mm-hmm. uh, where we had that downturn, we had the opportunity, we knew that we had to get more efficient and some companies did. And there's been a lot of improvements, I would say since in the past 10 years, especially, but I don't think we're where we need to be as an industry, because I think we're up into some really strong headwinds going forward. You know, we hear about all these articles about resistance, um, to fossil fuels, uh, companies that had previously, uh, wanted to invest in oil and gas and, uh, you know, they're, they're shying away from it now just because it's not socially acceptable. Right. And that's a good way to put it. (laughs) So, so yeah, I mean, it's a really tough environment that we're faced with. And I think that, uh, the fact of the matter, though, is that we do need fossil fuels. We do need oil and gas mm-hmm. to sustain our um, modern way of life that we've yeah. become mm-hmm. accustomed to. And that's not going away anytime soon. But in order for these companies to become um, efficient and, and to last, because I think where you're, you're seeing the, a lot of the majors were doing this, they saw the writing in, you know, 20. I would say 2012 or so, once the price of oil did, you know, come down off of that hundred dollar plus peak, um, they said, yeah, we got to prepare for that, that winter. Like you said, we got to start putting things together. And, and because they're, you know, they have these big initiatives and these large companies, you know, that's something that they've always, you know, adopted and, um, and done. They said, yeah, let's go and, and look at how we can adopt a continuous improvement in, data quality and all these things. And it's really at the initial part, it was really just the majors. It was, you know, Shell where I worked, it was, I was part of the enterprise architecture program there. And it was a big push within the unconventionals business to try to streamline the way we did things. And then I know that you know, BP was looking at it and I think Chevron and several others. So a lot of the majors were, were really seeing the need that they needed because they, you know, they're, they're so big, they've got to Look at how right. do they become a little more efficient uh, to compete. It was a lot of it was to compete with these, the perception that these um, independents were small and nimble. And with this unconventionals business, you really needed to be nimble in order to be successful. And so they needed to change. You know, the majors needed to change in order to compete with them. Well, um, so about, they, they started that. But 
What about some of these smaller, smaller folks that are the folks that are actually doing a lot of the work, you know, uh, on these uh, different sites, the, the ones that are, you know, reconditioning the equipment, um, you know, the, every time it, the, the industry as a whole suffers, these folks suffer as well. And they've got less padding to, uh, to, to weather the storm. Do you have any advice for those folks uh, on what, the, you know, what ways they could uh, do better on? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the same. It's the same stuff. It's you know, asking yourself, you know, what are the, what are the real value added activities that we do? You know, like talking to the customer too. The the kind of the whole, you know, look at whatever method you you like, whatever flavor of continuous right. improvement you you um you adopt. At the end of the day, you you start you know um with the end in mind, so to speak. <laughs> So thinking about like the, the, the cubby that, um, analogy. Well, and that seems to be a common phrase that comes up on our podcast. Start with the end in mind. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And, uh, and, and in this case, it's like the, the voice of the customer, right? So many have heard of that, that term, but it's asking your customer, hey, what do you really need um, from us? You know, what are the things that mm-hmm. that we do well? And then what do we, what are the things that we can improve on? Like we're are you, where we falling short in meeting your expectations or meeting your needs? Cause you may learn, you know, some surprising things about, you know, you, the th- you're thinking like your metrics are looking good and you're, you know, oh yeah, our customers are fine. You know, the sales guy went, took the engineer out to lunch and they were, they were real happy. Uh, at least they thought, but then mm-hmm. really at the end of the day, the engineer went back and was talking, grumbling out oh, those guys, you know, they, they still, you know, the, at the end of the day it worked, but we had to go back and fix this and that. And, you know, the stuff there may be not, uh, it's not so obvious. So I think it's, you know, what are the things that they really need? What are the, the wastes and defects that they're finding? Because yep. at the end of the day, um, those defects cost you money because you mm-hmm. have to go back and fix them. Mm-hmm. And so so to me, from like a, I think this is even, even probably more important um, from a service company standpoint, just because they are like, like you mentioned, they're, they're really suffering right now just because, um, oil and gas companies, if they have existing wells, they can keep producing them. They're probably holding off on drilling any new wells or completing those wells. So if your main business is drilling wells, you know, you're, you're not doing anything yeah. right now. Right. So, so yeah, so I think you, that's the, the big thing. You mentioned, uh, you know, kind of trying to solve the right problems and talk about data collection. And this is something else, again, just yesterday in the, the training that came up is we were talking about some of their customer complaints and defects and reworks that they've had. And so it seems that, and this happens a lot of places, we approach these things very emotionally, which go figure, people approach things emotionally. (laughs) Um, But you may have this one customer complaint with a very, very loud voice, either internally or externally, but gets a lot of attention. But then you may have had 10 reworks in between that didn't really upset the business a lot but cost, you know, an extra 10, 15% on the time on the job. And those get ignored because they're no more part of business. But this mm-hmm. one issue that only occurs once every three or four years, maybe gets all of our attention. Yeah. And that's, that's a really good point. I think it just, it boils down to no matter where you're at in the, in the value chain, I'll call it in the oil and gas industry, whether you're on the service side or in the operator side, it's, Really, you know, the need to sit down and understand your processes, you know, what, where are you at today? So sitting down and, and documenting, you know, whether it's on a process map, a value stream map, uh, you know, whatever um, type of flow chart you want to put it on, 
it's just really understanding, you know, where, what is the process? What are the steps? And then where are you seeing those defects? And then just putting that all on paper and then really having a critical eye and people that are doing the work and, you know, dealing with those defects are the ones that really need to be involved with this. Just, it can't be a consultant coming in working with a couple of managers to come up with the, the magical solution and then everybody's got to go implement it. It's got to be the people doing the work that, that co-create that, um, that future state. So looking at again, where, you know, what's working well, what's not, what should things look like in the, in the future? And then how can we, you know, what does that mean? You know, from a, um, opportunity standpoint, you know, what do we, how much cycle time are we taking out of the system by doing that? How many defects can we take out of the system? And then, and then measuring it. So like I said, you know, you got to use the scientific method, look at your, your measures that you have in place in the process, um, have your targets for how you want to improve those and then make it visual, you know, so that people see how they're doing. And so to me, that's the, you know, no matter what, whether it's oil and gas or, or another industry, those are the kind of key, key concepts I think that, that, that are helpful. I couldn't have said it better myself. I think you just hit the nail on the head for what a lot of folks are dealing with. And I it, think that's yeah, a it's, good, it's big. I think that's a good wrap up. I, I do too. I, I, I don't think we, we could end it better than that. <laughs> well, yeah, that, I will say a couple of parting thoughts, just a thing. If you know, people want to find out more, um, a really good case study for this in the oil and gas industry is era energy. And that's A-E-R-A, and that's uh, the joint venture between ExxonMobil and Shell. Okay. And uh, they were faced with this situation, you know, downturn in crude, uh, heavy oil prices. So they're like a heavy oil uh, in mm-hmm. California. And they had to do, you know, to improve, um, to survive, basically. And so they implemented all these types of concepts. We're talking about um, the Toyota production system. They really... Um, created a version of that called the Arrowway. Um, looked at implementing lean mm-hmm. uh, enterprise architecture planning for managing their data, um, and that's a really good case study because they've done it before. So this is not something new in the industry. It hasn't been yeah. done widely, but if you want to look at a, a the low cost operator in California, where you talk about a hard place to to do business from a regulatory standpoint and cost and all that kind of stuff. It's California. So they're, they're able to be <laughs> successful there. So, you know, we should be able to make it work in West Texas kind of thing. No so, kidding. So, hey. so yeah, that's uh, that'd be, probably be my, my biggest, um, I like it thing, thing for folks to look at. And if you want to find out more, I'll link to, there's a couple of good, um, SPE articles I've come across that talk about era Perfect. and, uh, put together a free resource guide for your listeners and that you can, yeah, Go and download that. If you can just go to mineralrightspodcast.com forward slash QMcast, and then I'll have, I got five um, helpful articles and case studies that people can look at to find out more. So, man, that's that's awesome. We'll make sure I'll, that's all uh, linked in the show notes here as well. Um, man, I really appreciate it. This has been a, this has been a fun episode. We usually don't go uh, over the 20 minute mark, but I can't say I'm <laughs> complaining here because this is just. <laughs> Seriously, this is good common sense information that people need, mm-hmm. and it's not just us saying it. <laughs> I appreciate it. No, thanks again for having me. It's been fun. I appreciate no, it's it. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, you so much.
Hey guys, this is Darcy with Quality Matters. We really appreciate you listening. And if you enjoy it, we invite you to subscribe. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you listen to your podcast. Subscribe, comment, leave us a review. We're happy to hear from you.